Hi, I'm Warren Perry. I'm the curator of the exhibition Echoes of Elvis. Oh, we've got fans and friends meeting here. What a great day. <laughs> we have a very special guest with us this evening, this afternoon, from Memphis, Tennessee. I know that we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of Elvis fans here. I grew up and I was an Elvis fan, but I was really a big AM radio fan. And AM radio, when I was growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, it was Rick Dees, Ron Jordan, and the master of them all was George Klein. And everybody from the box tops to Rufus Thomas, he would, he would spin those discs. He was a lot of fun to grow up listening to. And he probably is the best Elvis raconteur of them all. This afternoon he's here with us to talk for a few minutes. Then we're going to have a little question and answer session. After that he's going to sign some books. We wanted everybody to remember He's not going to be able to personalize the books, but he'll be able to sign them and he'll be out front. After we talk, he's going to talk for a few minutes, question and answer, and then he'll be out front. And again, uh, welcome out to our very special Elvis is in the building day. And uh, representing Elvis at this point, one of his, his best friends on earth, Mr. George Klein. How you doing? Glad you all came out today. Uh, my name is George Klein. I'll give you a quick rundown of how it all happened with me and Elvis. 1948, Humes High School, North Memphis, music class. Miss Mormon was the teacher. And, uh, <clears throat> and she said, next week, instead of doing Christmas carols or studying music appreciation, I'm sorry, instead of doing music appreciation, we're going to do Christmas carols. And Elvis raised his hand. Elvis was sitting, I can just see it today, he was on the left-hand side of the room, I was on the right, and he said, <clears throat> Miss Mormon, he said, do you mind if I bring my guitar to school and sing next week? And there were a few laughs in the class because it wasn't cool in 1948 for a 12-year-old guy to bring his guitar to school and sing. But Elvis did, and he got up and he sang two country songs. He sang uh, Cold, Cold, Icy Fingers, and he sang a song called Old Shep, which he later recorded. And from that moment on, we bonded. And coincidentally, and we were in exact claim classes, same classes, all the way from high school, uh, from the eighth grade up until uh, the twelfth grade. I became class president, and uh, the class always had a tradition in that we sponsored a talent show, a senior class talent show. And so <coughs> uh, Elvis won the talent show, and I was sitting on the front row. And at that moment, I said, you know, maybe this guy's got a chance. As we get out of high school, uh, I know if it happens up in this area, you're part of the country, but it usually in the Memphis area, when you get out of high school, people go different directions. They move out of town, they go away to college, they stay in Memphis, or they go into the business world. You never hardly see them. But I saw a lot of Elvis because I was into radio and television, and I had a radio show, and Elvis was starting to record for Sun Records. So we, we started to sing a lot of each other. And uh, there's a famous picture that uh, they may have in the lobby where Elvis comes by and visits me at the radio station one day. And uh, uh, he used to always drop by, and we'd hang out. There was a guy named Dewey Phillips who played his first record, and Elvis and I and Dewey would hang out late at night. I'd, I was on in the afternoon. Dewey was on at night. And Elvis would frequently come by and visit because Memphis would roll up the sidewalks at midnight, nothing to do. And we'd go out, and we'd go to the drive-in, drive-in restaurants, or we'd go to a club called the Variety Club, which was an exclusive club, for people in show business in the Memphis area. And uh, 
we'd hang out like that. And so one day, <clears throat> I'm up there visiting Dewey, and Elvis says, hey, he called me GK. He said, hey, GK, why weren't you on the air today? And I said, Elvis, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, what happened? I said, Elvis, they called me in, and they said, we think this rock and roll thing, George, is a fad. It's like Calypso, Mambo, Tango, and uh, we're going to have to let you go. We're going to close down the rock and roll division of our radio station. So they fired me. So uh, Elvis said, well, you're not fired anymore. He said, you're working for me. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, nothing but work for me. He said, he said let me get a spot of tea here. I've been up since 3 this morning, so bear with me. So uh, he said, you're going to be listed as a traveling companion. He said, we're going to go on my first big North American tour. We're going to Chicago. We're going to Detroit, Philadelphia, St. Louis. We're going all across America. And then we're going to go to Hawaii and do, a, uh, do four shows in Honolulu. I said, wow, Elvis, Hawaii. He said, yeah. He said, then we're going to go to MGM Studios in Hollywood. We're going to make the movie Jailhouse Rock. And I said, wow, Elvis, that's great. And we did. We did all of that. And so I was traveling with him. And the deal was, when you're a superstar, even back in those days, you go out and you sing in front of 10,000 people at that time or 12,000, whatever the venue was held. And then you go back to the hotel room and you sit there and watch television. You know, with your, he didn't have many traveling companions. We didn't have a large entourage in those days. It was just me, Elvis, and his cousin Gene Smith, and we had a bodyguard named Arthur Hooten who was from the neighborhood. And that was it. We didn't have 10 or 12 guys, a lot of security. So Elvis said, GK, he said, what I want you to do <coughs> is when we travel on the road, he said, I want you at intermission to go out and you invite some pretty girls back to the hotel for a party. I said, okay, Elvis, that's cool. He said, he said, because don't, I don't want to sit around looking at you guys all night long before we leave for the next city. I said, I don't blame you, Elvis. So I would go out, and I'll never forget, we were in Detroit, Michigan, the first city. And uh, I went up to some pretty girls who were all sitting together. And I said, at intermission, I said, how would you ladies like to meet Elvis Presley? They said, you're crazy. Get out of here, man. And I said, no, I really, I, I work with him. I'm with him. I'm from Memphis. They said, you're nuts. So what I did was, <clears throat> I knew this would happen. <clears throat> I pulled out a picture of me and Elvis. And then I had a little backstage pass, a VIP, you know, back uh, part of the show, whatever it was called. And then they looked at that, and they said, man, you really are with him, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. So I said, meet me at the Hilton Hotel. I'll meet you in the lobby or whatever hotel it was in the city. And uh, I'd meet him in the lobby, and I'd bring him upstairs, and we would party. We'd party until 2 or 3 in the morning, and then we'd either uh, leave out driving, because in those days, Elvis wouldn't fly. A quick side note here. What happened was he was he was Elvis was flying early on in his career. He chartered a plane from Texas to Nashville to record, and over Arkansas they had plane trouble and they had to make a, an emergency landing. So Elvis made the mistake of telling his mother, and he told her what happened, and she begged him not to ever fly again, and he wouldn't. And from that day on, he, even he told the guys in the group, he said, "Guys, get your instruments. We're getting off this plane. We're going to drive to Nashville." And they did. He never flew until she got very sick. And he was in the Army. And uh, even on the road, we traveled in limousines. We traveled in trains. We traveled in regular cars. Whichever how we could get from one town to the other. And here you are with a superstar and uh, driving, you know, in that pink and white limousine. We used that. When, uh, well, it wasn't a limousine. It was a Cadillac. We'd use that occasionally. And we'd have to take newspaper and tape it over the windows so he could sleep while we were driving at night. And then nobody knew he was in the back seat. 
you know, of course, we'd pull into the servants' quarters and go in the hotel and freshen up. But anyway, that's what I did with him. We traveled early on, and then uh, his last motion picture before he went in the Army was King Creole, and I went down to New Orleans with him for that, and uh, we had a great time down there. <coughs> and then he went in the Army, and he was, while he was in the Army, <coughs> he called me, and he said, G.K., you want to come to Germany? And I said, Elvis, I don't think I want to come to Germany. <laughs> I said, unless you really, really need me. Well, he had a couple of guys with him from the back in Memphis, and he had his grandmother, Aunt Minnie Mae, and he had his father, Vernon, with him. <coughs> and he said, G.K., if you want to come over. And I said, Elvis, uh, don't take this the wrong way. He said, what? I said, <coughs> you're in Germany. He said, that's right. I'm in Bad Nauheim, Germany. I said, Elvis, World War II has only been over about 10 years, 12 years. And I said, I'm Jewish. I said, I don't know if I want to come to Germany or not. And he laughed, and he said, no, everything's going to be safe over here. He said, but I don't blame you. He said, you stay there in Memphis, and you take care of the home front for me. I said, okay, Elvis. <coughs> so he, got, he gets out of the Army, <coughs> and he resumes his movie career. And so what I would do instead of traveling with him, I would schedule my vacation, and I'd go to Hollywood while Elvis is making motion pictures. It, it, uh, he did back in those days he normally did two movies a year he did one in the winter time and one in the summer one in august and i'd always go out in august i'd live with him up in bel-air go to the studio with him whether it was mgm or paramount and hang with him for those days and then after a couple of three weeks i'd come back to memphis and you can see me i'm in actually eight of elvis's movies but if you blink your eyes you'll probably miss me but because i'm in there quickly uh it's, it's what they call a silent bit or you're an extra or something but he would just tell the director, he'd say, look, this is George Klein, this jockey from back in Memphis, put him in the movie somewhere. And the only movies that you can really see me good in are Jailhouse Rock, the first picture I worked with Elvis on. Uh, we're at the movie studio a lot, we're at parties a lot. You can see me there. And then uh, you can see me in That's the Way It Is, a documentary that was shown recently. Uh, I was backstage with Elvis and walking with him while he went on stage. And then in the uh, documentary Elvis on Tour, it shows me signing on the radio at my station in Memphis, WHBQ. And uh, that's where I coined the phrase Elvis himself. I said, here he is, my man, Elvis himself. It's 3 o'clock in Memphis, and here's the king to sing or something. I also called him, I was the first guy to call him the king. So there's things that I was proud of, the little things, but I was proud of him. I called him the king first. I coined the phrase Elvis himself. And also I came up with a saying uh, that, <clears throat> and I used it a lot early on. Now I don't have to use it because everybody almost is an Elvis fan. I used to say, if you're not an Elvis fan, no explanation is possible. If you are an Elvis fan, no explanation is needed. And that sufficed for me pretty well. So we did that, and then we, we hung together uh, while, while he was, you know, doing the movies and all. And then the movie thing, uh, he got tired of movies. Uh, in my book, I tell about that. And that was his manager, Colonel Parker, made a humongous mistake. Halfway through Elvis's movie career, Elvis became uninterested in making pictures because I'd ask him, he'd come home and I'd say, Elvis, what's the new movie about? He said, oh, GK. He said, it's uh, same story, different location. I beat up a guy and I get the girl and I sing 12 songs. He said, same. He said, it's Elvis in Hawaii. It's Elvis in Florida. He said, Elvis in Hollywood. He said, that's it. <clears throat> and I said, Elvis, why don't you put your foot down with Colonel Parker and ask him for more better scripts and better supporting actors and better songs? And he said, oh, the old man got me this far, George. Hate to rock the boat. He's a good old guy. See, Elvis was a nice guy, <clears throat> sometimes too nice. And uh, so he wouldn't put his foot down. In fact, it's in the book. 
I got into a couple of very heated discussions with Colonel Parker. One was about the movie career, the fact that Elvis's movies were formula-type movies and that Elvis should be making better pictures because he was developing into a pretty doggone good actor. And the colonel and I got into a heated discussion about that. And uh, I never forget, we had to drop it because uh, we were in Elvis's dressing room and that night and he, Elvis walked in and Elvis didn't like confrontations or he didn't like people getting arguments in front of him, so we dropped it. But I think I got my point across to the colonel on that. But had he got Elvis better movies, better scripts, you would have seen what a good actor, because he showed in King Creole how good he was. Because he told us when he made King Creole, he said, guys, he said, I'm going in the Army. He said, I don't know if rock and roll is going to be around when I come out of the Army. So I'm going to give King Creole my best ever. And he said, if, if, if rock and roll is not here, maybe I can be, become an actor. So if you, if you watch King Creole, he gives a tremendous performance in there. He had a great supporting cast, Walter Matthau, Shirley Jones, Dean Jagger, who was nominated for Academy Award. Uh, uh, and, and he had a great director, and he had a great script, best script he ever had, good music in that movie, King Creole. But uh, he went in the Army, and he came back, and the colonel had the same uh, the situation lined up again, formula-type movies. And when I got in the discussion with the colonel, I said, Colonel, I said, uh, <coughs> you know, why, why don't you get Elvis better scripts? I said, he proved it in King Creole. And this is what he said. He said, it's in the book. He said, George, he talked in a big voice. He's a big husky guy. And he said, George, he said, he said, there's guys walking Hollywood Boulevard with Oscars in their hand. They can't get arrested. And he called Elvis, my boy. He said, my boy is getting a million up front. He's getting 50% of the picture, script control, top billing, and we get an album out of the movie. And I said, but Colonel, I said, what about the big picture? He said, big picture, big picture. He said, all Hollywood cares about is the bottom line. What did your last movie do? If your last movie bombed, Hollywood don't even want to see you. He said, Elvis's movies are making money. Why should we change? He said, if we change now, George, he said, and we have a flop, he said, Hollywood will blame it on us. But if Hollywood changes and they have a flop, we can blame it on them. It wasn't our fault. And I said, but Colonel, I said, Elvis is developing into a good actor. He, he's, you can just see it. And he's chomping at the bits to, want to do better movies. And about that time, Elvis walked in, so we, quit the, we dropped the discussion. But I got my point across to him, but it never developed. And, and the biggest mistake, I guess the biggest mistake Colonel Parker made in Elvis's career. Hold on a second. My voice is a little raspy. Uh, Mr. Perry can tell you, actually, I sound better than this, but yeah, I, I, I got up three this morning. <clears throat> what happened was Elvis is in Vegas. He's quit making movies. The contract's ran out. He refused to sign for any more movies with the colonel. He said, I'm not making any more of those movies, colonel. And colonel said, what do you want to do, Elvis? He said, I want to go back on the road. I want to sing. He said, what I love most is singing in front of a live audience. And the colonel said, okay, I'll book you. We'll kick it off in Vegas and see how it goes. Of course, it went tremendous in Vegas. And uh, Barbara Streisand opened up. The, it was called the International Hotel then. Streisand opened it up. Then Elvis came in second. Elvis didn't want to open the hotel up because he was scared the sound system and the lights and stuff wouldn't be right. So he said, let Barbara be the guinea pig. Let her go in there and do it, and then I'll come follow her, which he did. And, but they became friends because of that. But anyway, Streisand comes to Elvis in Vegas, and she said, Elvis, I'm going to remake the movie a Star is Born. 
and I want you to play opposite me. I've got the script here. We're ready to roll, and this is, I think, what you've been looking for. We understand you've been looking for the right vehicle to come back to Hollywood to perform him. Elvis said, that's right, I have. Had made a movie in six or seven years. So Elvis read the script. I wasn't there, but Jerry Schilling, my friend, my manager, read the script. Uh, Richard Davis, uh, Joe Esposito, was wrote, they all read the script, and they, and they said, Elvis, this is what you've been looking for. This is it. Elvis, you may get a nomination if you do this one. He said, remember you guys, remember Sinatra came back and from here to eternity, won an Academy Award, and that re reestablished, reignited his career. Well, we thought that would do that for Elvis. And so Elvis made the big mistake. He said, okay, Barbara, I'll do the picture. He said, but out of courtesy, will you run it by my manager, Colonel Parker? Because, you know, he's my manager. It would be rude not to run it by him. She said, oh, I'll be glad to. Big mistake. Because she goes in Colonel Parker's office, and I knew what he was going to say because I presented a, pro a proposition to him once on a movie. He hit me with the same deal. And he, she said, Colonel Parker said, okay, Barbara, before you start talking, here's the deal. He put her on defense right away. He said, Elvis gets 50% of the movie. He gets a million dollars up front. He gets star billing, and we get script control. And he said, who's directing the picture? And this guy, John Peters, was sitting with her. That was her boyfriend. She said, well, my boyfriend. And uh, Colonel Parker said, well, what's he done? She said, well, <laughs> she kind of laughed. She said, he's, he's a hairdresser. But the thing was, he developed into a great producer-director later on. And Colonel Parker said, Barbara, you meet our deal, and you get a real director, and you got a deal. Otherwise, you know, we can't do it. She said, look, Colonel. She said, I'm a pretty big star, too. And at that time, Barbara Streisand was super strong, a superstar. You know, she won a. Academy Awards, she won the Grammys, she won the Golden Globe Awards, she won the Tonys on Broadway, just a multi-talented lady. And she said, look, Colonel, you know, can't you come off the deal? And he said, look, Barbara, if I come off the deal for you, when Elvis does go back to Hollywood full blast to make movies, they will say, wait a minute, you didn't charge Streisand a million up front, you didn't ask 50% from her. He said, so we got to stick to our deal. She said, I'm sorry, Colonel, I can't do it. So she got Chris Christopherson to play the part. And uh, that was a tremendous mistake, and Elvis never made, a ma never made another movie. And it was Colonel Parker's fault because of that. That's covered in the book. And, I, and I, I say in the book also that Elvis, that the two people that could have helped Elvis when he got sick were Colonel Parker, one, and his dad, Vernon, the other. Colonel Parker, he wouldn't do it because it was show me the money. Show me the money. He wanted Elvis out on the road. He didn't step up. He scared if he went to Elvis and complained about Elvis's chemical dependency on prescribed medication, he, that Elvis would maybe fire him or something. So he was scared of that. And Elvis's dad, Vernon, bless his heart. Vernon was a great guy. I don't even think he graduated from high school. Cool guy. He and I got along famously. Some of the guys in Elvis's group did not get along with him, but I did. But Vernon, he was scared that Elvis would fire him from his position as Elvis is running Graceland and everything, and he wouldn't have any income. Well, Elvis is not going to fire his father. But anyway, Vernon and Colonel did not step up to help Elvis. And had they stepped up, there was a good chance Elvis would be alive today. And I say in the book also, there was one other person. Had she lived, Elvis Presley would be with us today. And that was his mother, Gladys Love Presley. He loved her so much, so dearly, he would do anything she asked him to do. If she lived, he'd be alive today. Yeah, Mr. Perry. To, to cut it short because I think all of us could listen to, to George Klein for a few days because his stories about Elvis are endless and they're all excellent stories and he was there. 
However, we've got time for just a few questions, and then and I think Mr. Klein has several thousand books he has to sign out front. <laughs> so I'll sign as many as I can. <laughs> can we go to this young man in the back? Yeah, experiences with Elvis in Hawaii. Sure, Elvis loved Hawaii. Elvis's two pla favorite places were Hawaii and Las Vegas. And I was with Elvis, 1957. We went over on the SS Lurleen, came back on the SS Matsonia, and Elvis did four shows in Hawaii. And some f the Hawaiians immediately loved Elvis, and Elvis returned it with love too by performing for them. But there was just some electricity in the air on the islands of Hawaii. Uh, the, the Hawaiians were just great people, and they loved him to death. And I'll, I'll tell you a, 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 a cute, quick story. When Elvis got off the ship, if you've ever been to Hawaii, I don't know if they do it still today, but if you went over on a ship, they put the girls meet you, the Hawaiian girls meet you as you come off the ship or the plane, and they put a lay of flowers around your, your neck, and they kiss you. That's a tradition there. They still do that? I don't know. But anyway, okay, kind of, sort of. But anyway, you can imagine the girls who wanted to kiss Elvis. So when he, when he got off that ship, the lays were up to his, his mouth, and, and he had lipstick all over him. You've seen some of the pictures. So we get back to the hotel. We're staying at the uh, Kaiser Hawaiian Village. Henry Kaiser had the car. He had a, a hotel. Now it's owned by the Hilton. And we get back there, and all these flowers are there for Elvis and everything. So Elvis has to go somewhere with Colonel Parker. And uh, we get in, instead of a pillow fight, we get in a lay fight. All, you know, a bunch of guys, and we're up here, we're throwing lays at each other. We're grabbing these flowers, these cork orchid lays, and tearing them up. Elvis comes in a room, and he said, he used some choice language. I'm not going to use it here. He said, what in the heck happened to my flowers, my lays? We said, well, Elvis, we just had a lay fight. He said, a lay fight? And he got mad. And he, I didn't know that he liked flowers that much, but it came from his mother. She loved flowers, and that's where it came from. He went in his room, and he shut his door. And everybody looked at each other. There was only four guys with him. I said, what are you going to do? I said, look, give me $5. I said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go down and buy the most beautiful lay I can find in the flower shop downstairs. And we went down and bought a beautiful orchid lay, and we knocked on his door. He said, yeah, what do you want? I said, Elvis, we got something for you. And then he smiled, and it was all over. He, you know, but, but he loved Hawaii. That's why he went over there. He made three movies over there. I went over there to visit Aloha from Hawaii. was shot there. He just dearly loved Hawaii. Good question. Colonel Parker again. We tried to get Colonel Parker to take Elvis to Europe. Elvis wanted to go to Europe. The only country he played in outside the United States was Canada. And I was with him in Canada. We played Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. But the Colonel wouldn't book Elvis overseas. We couldn't figure out why. His excuse at that time was, and held a little bit of water, he said, look, guys, and he told Elvis and all of us, he said, uh, the venues in Europe are not very large. They hold maybe 11,000. At that time, 1970, early 70s, he said, now, the indoor venues held about 12,000, 13,000. He said, the outdoor venues are huge, but Elvis won't play outdoors. Elvis did not like to play outdoors. Elvis wouldn't do an outdoor concert after we got off the road in 1957 or 8 because Elvis felt that you, the sound went everywhere. In those days, you didn't have the big monitors that you have today and the beautiful sound systems. So you, the sound wasn't that good. And also, Elvis was usually, maybe he was on the pitcher's mound at a ballpark, 
and the people were in the stands, so he had no, his contact with the audience was not very good. So Elvis just didn't like to work outside. So the colonel said, look, it would be prohibitive. Elvis has got his entourage, you got the orchestra, you got a six-piece rhythm section, you got two groups of backup singers, you got all these hanger-ons, Elvis. He said, if we went over there, we'd have to raise the ticket price. And Elvis said, no, we're not raising the ticket price. He said, well, Elvis, we can't go because we can't, it's not feasibly uh, financial or money-wise to go over there and do that because we can't make any money. That sounded pretty good at the time. Then the colonel passes away, and we found out actually that the colonel, that was not his real name. He came into the United States illegally from Holland. He was an illegal alien, slipped in the country on a boat, went down to Florida, got with circuses down there, became a carny, went over to Nashville, started managing some country acts, and finally wound up with Elvis. Now, had he gone down to apply for a visa or a passport, if you're from a foreign country or you're from America, they don't play around with this stuff. You got to give me a real name, you know, and they check you out real clearly, real closely. And so he would have to tell me he wasn't really an American. He didn't have American, uh, you know, citizenship. And so he would have been exposed, and he didn't want to do that. Well, we thought, well, somebody brought that up in the group, Elvis's entourage. And we said, well, wait a minute. Tom Diskin, his assistant, could have taken Elvis. Joe Esposito, his road manager, could have taken him. And the thing was, Colonel Parker didn't like Elvis out of his sight. He was afraid that if you got to Elvis, you make shoot Elvis a deal, and Elvis liked it, would go for it, and then that would put him in an embarrassing situation because he'd have to go, Elvis, Elvis, we can't do that. Elvis, I want to do it. And there's another confrontation. So the colonel, he kind of muddied the water on that situation. Yes, it is. Uh, and I'll make the short story short. <coughs> this was Elvis's ring. It's uh, emerald with 21 diamonds, white diamonds, and uh, 21 yellow diamonds, 18 karat gold. And uh, it was Elvis's ring. One night I'm coming up to Graceland. Mr. Perry knows where that is. He lived down the street. And uh, so the guy said, Elvis, here comes GK. And he said, yeah, I see him coming. He was in the back of the house. And they said, but Elvis, it's his birthday. He said, birthday? He said, look, I just got this new ring in Vegas. He said, run up there and get it out of my jewelry kit. Somehow slip it to me in a box, and I'll, I'll stall him. So I walk in, and I said, we called him E. I said, hey, E, what's going on? He said, oh, not much. What's up? And I start telling him about some radio stuff, and one of the guys slips up behind him, and, and I didn't know it at the time, and slips this box in his hand. And I said, Elvis, the radio station wants you to do a, a, a record a promo or something. I knew you can't do it. And he said, oh, shut up. I said, what? And that's the word he said, shut up, GK. And I said, what? And he said, he said, happy birthday. And I opened up, and that ring was in there. But he gave me two Cadillacs, paid for two operations, uh, sent me to Hawaii one time, all expenses paid for my wife. He was just a fantastic person. I, and I know, again, I know everybody is a is a big Elvis fan, but I've been a fan of George Klein all my life. I grew up listening to the Jeeker on your speaker, AM 56 in Memphis, and what, what a fun, fun time it was to grow up and, and being in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you again, Mr. Klein, for coming out. He's going to be signing a one few second, books out. Hold on one second. I'm supposed to say visit the exhibit, Echoes of Elvis. It's really nice and tasty. I enjoyed it. It doesn't take you long at all. And they wanted me to tell you a story from Viva Las Vegas. They're going to be screening that later today. And the story is that, yes, Elvis and Ann Margaret got together. That's all I'll tell you. Read about it in the book. Thank you again. We'll see everybody out front in just a few minutes. (laughs) 